are listening to The Cooler Ring, a podcast made for manufacturing marketers. Here are Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Welcome to The Cooler Ring, a podcast for manufacturing marketers brought to you by Cooler Partners. My name is Jeff White and joining me today is Carmen Perry. Carmen, what's shaking, man? Look, it's uh, not too much. Uh, it's uh, I guess we're just uh, here recording a podcast on, uh, what is it, the 874th day of 2020. <laughs> yes, it's November and February. Yeah, it just goes on and on. Indeed it does. Indeed it does. It may go on and on, but this episode will probably only last 25 to 30 minutes. Our listeners should know. Probably so, yeah. Yeah. That's uh, that's the that's the common format anyway. So we have to adhere to it. Um, so I'm excited to uh, to have a uh, a veteran of uh, of manufacturing marketing from a number of different fields on the on the show today, and uh, I, I think he's got uh, a lot to a lot to teach us and a lot to tell us about uh, customer collaboration and other things like that. Yeah, let's, uh, I, I agree. Let's let's just get into it. Make the most of our twenty five to thirty minutes. Absolutely. So joining us today is Asan Javed. Asan has, uh, as I was saying, uh, 20 years of experience working in the semiconductor industry, healthcare, and uh, aerospace and defense, among others. And uh, we're, we're really glad to have you on the show. Welcome to the show, Asan. Yeah, thanks a lot, Jeff and Carmen. Really happy to be here and uh, uh, meet you guys remotely and uh, excited to uh, participate in your uh, in your podcast. It's great to have you on the show. And uh and and thank you for uh, joining us from uh, the lovely sunny destination of Chicago. <laughs> I wish I could say it's sunny right now. We're going through some summer uh, thunderstorms, but uh, yeah, it's nice. It's uh, I, I won't complain because the summer here lasts only about uh, three to four months. I gotta say, uh, most of uh, the, the the most time I've spent in Chicago has generally been in June. Um, and uh, it's uh, it's always treated me well. So uh, it, it's it's warm for a, a Canadian uh, coastal yeah. boy. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> but uh, good to be chatting. Uh, so look, I, I know as we as we talked about this um, episode and kind of bringing you on the show, we we kind of talked a lot about your approach to customer collaboration, and um, you know, be, to be candid. Um, you know, you hear from an awful lot of marketers that it's a great thing to um, listen to customers and collaborate with them, and um, and then often when you get to the, uh, the 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 then what or the almost like well tell me more about that and how you do it, you find that uh, often there's not that much meat on the bone. So I'm hoping that we can put more meat on it today. Um, so uh, I guess uh, let's start with the, getting a little bit of uh, background uh, uh, about you and, and maybe tell our listeners a bit more about you. And then let's dive into this customer collaboration and your approach to it. Thank, thanks, Carmen. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I find that, uh, you know, largely the disciplines uh, around customer collaboration stay the same, uh, regardless of what industry or, frankly, geographic location uh, worldwide that you're you're participating in, I've I've done business in Europe and in Asia uh, as well as domestically here, um, and, and largely I find that the the frameworks for collaboration stay the same. But before we get into that, uh, you know, I, I started my career uh, as an electrical engineer. I have a master's in electrical engineering uh, and worked as uh, as an engineer at, at Motorola uh, back in the heyday. Um, and I was on the semiconductor side uh, doing um, uh, uh, automotive semiconductors, if you will, 
um, and doing product engineering for those. Um, and very quickly realized, you know, my passion uh, was still around technology, but I really enjoyed, uh, you know, the marketing aspect of things and putting together a strategy and a business case and, and uh, being able to uh, articulate that with a customer. So moved after I got my MBA, moved into the um, into the onto the uh, business development side of things. Uh, served as a product manager in various roles uh, at a at an analog mixed signal company called Silicon Labs in Austin, Texas, and then moved up to Chicago, where um, I, I pivoted pretty hard away from pure play semiconductors to uh, acoustic products. Uh, so I was leading uh, marketing and and product management for a company called Knowles Electronics um, that did an um, uh, transducers for hearing aids and smartphones. Um, and then uh, after about six and a half years there, uh, most recently I was working for a specialty custom battery company uh, that did kind of custom battery solutions for uh, aerospace defense and medical products. Um, and also very different than, than before, but ultimately the, the, the way that you go about developing, I'd say a collaboration framework, both internally and externally, uh, I think stays largely the same regardless of industry and, and technology uh, at the end of the day. Well, let's uh, let's dive into that further. I'd like to understand the collaboration framework model that you speak of and kind of um, begin to understand what it looks like. Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, you know, my, my, I guess first you'd start definitionally like what is, what does collaboration uh, actually mean uh, and, you know, one of my favorite definitions of it is, uh, you know, facilitation of an open mind, open minded thinking and co-creation. Um, and, and every one of those uh, kind of sentences, every word in that sentence is, I think, meaningful, uh, where you're really trying to facilitate or help guide uh, a conversation with your customer or productive conversation with your customer. Um, and you are trying to kind of unlock the goodness, if you will. Uh, and, and do something together with them. Uh, you know, ultimately, customers are trying to uh, develop a better product, a better solution. Uh, and uh, typically, you know, you have to, as a as a component supplier, have to provide them with uh, something that ultimately gives them a better benefit for their end product. Um, and so, uh, being able to to really facilitate that. Um, I think uh, there there's a number of different frameworks for for doing this, but in, in my mind, there's really three steps. Um, one is being able to solve a burning problem in the market. Uh, second is, and I'll go into these in, in a little detail. Uh, second is to actually go to the market and communicate, um, and then third is uh, just be relentless about seeking feedback and iterating on your products. Um, so, so to the first point, you know, solving the burning problem, um, you know, a lot of the times as, as engineers, uh, and as a formal, former engineer, uh, you really want to, uh, you want to develop technology for technology's sake. Everyone wants to work on the latest, greatest technology. Um, but really, uh, you know, that's not, not what the end goal here is for a customer, right? You need the widget to solve a customer need. Um, and frankly, you know, customers are looking for you to, to exhibit some thought leadership and insight into the market. Uh, we often claim that, you know, our, our, uh, as a supplier to a, to a bigger company that they, you know, they have all of the, all of the answers and they have kind of the thought leadership, but as a component supplier, I think you can really, uh, exhibit some thought leadership and, and put yourself out there and take a risk and a chance on developing, you know, some, some market insights, uh, identify what, what you see going on in the market 
um, develop a roadmap and, and put together some features and benefits so that you are, uh, you know, genuinely solving a, a burning problem that the customer has. And I'll talk about some examples of that a little bit later. Um, Before we yeah. uh, move on from this point, I'd be curious because when we started, you were you kind of mentioned about um, uh, the, the notion of you know part of collaboration, of course, is the, the co-creative nature mm-hmm. of it. Um, kind of, an, and in some ways, what that tells me is that there's an emergent pattern. Yep, and that some of the work is more about holding the container or the space for that to happen. Uh, than it is about being prescriptive about the outcome. Yep. Um, how do you balance that with the requirement in the early days of your framework, uh, particularly to kind of to to kind of almost be coming to the table with the solution? Um, I guess how do you balance that to the extent to which you're being prescriptive with a solution uh, with the product you're bringing to market versus the extent to which you're actually looking to co-create the solution? Yeah, I think. Uh, the the difference is you're not co-creating the solution you're, or you're not uh, uh, being prescriptive about creating the solution, you're creating a solution. Um, and, and in my mind, uh, you know, technology companies are generally want to, uh, if, you, if you hand stuff over to, to pure play engineering, they will come to you with, with what I like to uh, describe as kind of the cheesecake factory of capabilities and say, Mr. Customer, here's all my capabilities. You know, do you want to have the Oreo cheesecake with the jalapeno poppers or the bang bang chicken and shrimp and something else, right? So you leave it up to the customer to decide. Um, and that's not really showing any kind of forethought. You're showing, you're selling a list of capabilities. You're not necessarily, necessarily putting yourself out there and saying, here's a product uh, or here's a solution. And, and I think the, the key is that you can't be, you can't be afraid to be wrong. And that's really where the power of it comes in is that um, when you're sitting uh, in front of a blank piece of paper and there's nothing on the paper except for kind of a list of capabilities, it's very difficult to provide any provide any feedback um, as opposed to if I have a solution on there and we all kind of sit around the table and, and fire shots at it um, and tweak it and move it in a different direction or say, what if we did this or what if we did that? I think that's where kind of the magic really occurs. Um, the way I think about it is, you know, you must be be willing to plant a flag on the beach and all fire fire you know bullets at it, and uh, and through that uh, the idea kind of generates some uh, momentum of its own, and that's where kind of the co creation comes in. Is that you're not presenting the customer with capabilities, you're presenting them with some market insight and where you think the the market could go, and they provide, it is much more, uh, customers are much more willing to, I think, provide feedback to, uh, to you kind of putting your neck out there and, and delivering a roadmap as opposed to, again, just having a list of capabilities. Here's all the things I could do rather than here's, here's the things I want to do. I think there's, there's a lot of learning in that, you know, I mean, the humility that's required in order to put out an idea, but then be willing to be not, not just wrong, but be willing to accept other ideas and and critique and, and all that. I mean, it, it very much is a uh, you know, it's it's design thinking is, is largely what you're what you're describing. Yeah, and, and 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 it's unnerving, right? It's unnerving to put a put something out there that, frankly, you know will likely be wrong. And I think a lot of people think that that'll have a negative outcome, but in all of my experience, it's actually had an exceedingly positive outcome. 
where it I think there's embers in the, in what you put out there in your roadmap that sparks ideas within the customer's mind. Whereas if you have just a list of menu list of options, it doesn't, there's nothing tangible there to, to kind of uh, sink your teeth into. So I, th I think it's really about taking that risk and, and saying, here's what I divine about the market based on my insight and my understanding. Do you think this is right? Would you rather take this in this other direction? And, and I, I've really found, genuinely found across my career that that, uh, that kind of thinking really uh, does create some magic when it comes to customer collaboration. I think one of the things I really love about that is that, you know, the customers are, are obviously going to be invested and interested and enjoy that kind of process. But have you found um, internally with the organizations that you worked with that that may have been a bit scarier to those people? Like, were, were they having to check their egos at the door a little bit more and be more open to have their ideas um reworked and and shot down and and critiqued yeah i think i think there's always points of resistance in this uh, particularly if you're going into a new business uh and, and trying to uh kind of change some of the paradigms so uh there there's always been resistance around uh you look we should just take the customer's requirements and execute from there uh rather than try to come up with something on our own or exactly as you said you know, I don't want to necessarily put something out there that they'll potentially leak to our competitors, or I don't want to be wrong in front of my customer. Uh, there, there's any number of, I think, uh, feedback uh, feedback items that, that I've received uh, kind of from internal resistance to go after this approach. But uh, ultimately, I found that, that it drives the customer to view you more as a strategic partner. Um, rather than just a component supplier. And I know that that's, might come across as a little bit cliche, uh, but I think therein lies the difference is that you are willing to take a chance and take a risk and say, here are the things I think I should be working on. Do you agree that I should be working on these? Um, and, and it drives really constructive conversation. And, and I think even internally, it enriches uh, the relationship that you have uh, with your customer engineer to engineer. I wonder to what extent your background as an engineer has informed this thinking, really. I mean, as you just said that, it struck me that uh, that could be the secret sauce that led you to this in the first place. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I, I do think some of it uh, stems from there uh, kind of being close to the silicon, if you will, close to the technology, um, understanding kind of how much time it takes to develop something. Um, and, and the discipline behind it and how much, uh, you know, uh, effort and blood, sweat and tears it takes to bring something to market. I, I think there's, uh, there's two pieces to it. One is uh, actually wanting to justify what you're doing uh, and make sure that there's a, a solid business case and market pull behind it. And second, uh, just wanting to make sure that the technology is, is pointed in the right direction. Uh, you need to... Uh, marry the technology and the business case and the customer need together so that it's uh it, it's you know all comes together at the same at the right time right time at the right place at the right price um so that the so that a product is successful I, i've worked on plenty of products that have died on the vine uh from an engineering standpoint uh because you know there it wasn't ready or, or the technology wasn't there, or the price was wrong or whatever. So I think some of this discipline also drives making the right strategic decisions for the company at the end of the day. 
so I, I guess sol- that, that's that's the first part of it is, is solving the burning problem. Um, the other two, uh, as I mentioned and I touched on a little bit already, is go to market. Frankly, have discussions with your customer, uh, drive customer inter- intimacy and communication. Uh, you know, drive do some whiteboarding with them. Have some strategic discussions. Don't only go to them when you when they have a problem or you have 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 a product to show them. I think uh, just on the ideation side or on the prototype side, we should be willing to share stuff early and often with our customers. You don't want to get too far down the road and then realize that you spent a bunch of money that, that frankly, is not going to meet, meet a, a customer need. And then, and then kind of related to that is uh, the, the third point, which is uh, seek, seek feedback and iterate. Um, one of my favorite MBA professors uh, had, a, had, a, had a book uh, on venture creation called A Good Hard Kick in the Ass. And you know one of the, one of the, the core tenets of that book was uh, get in front of you know re- release a product or iterate a product or introduce a product quickly to market and then get feedback. Um, know that it won't be right the first time. Know that you'll have to iterate your idea. Uh, don't have kind of uh, that that uh, hubris guide you uh, and to make the perfect mousetrap internally. When, when you get to market, I think being in the market it gives you invaluable insight and feedback from customers. So, um, you know, it's, it's either coming up with the idea or the product or the roadmap and putting it in front of customers and then getting that feedback and iterating rapidly so that you, um, you know, you, you do your learning upfront than, rather than later on in the process. So th- those are the three basic tenets is solving the, pro- solving the burning problem, go to, the mar- go to market and then seek feedback and, and iterate. Are your digital marketing efforts bringing in too many junk leads? Stop wasting time and distracting your sales team. Account-based marketing can help give your marketing strategy the laser focus on qualified buyers that you need to increase your pipeline velocity, close more deals, and grow your business faster. We've created a sample manufacturing ABM plan to help you get started. Download the sample manufacturing ABM plan at bit.ly slash sample ABM. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash sample abm how does this i mean obviously this is a a a great process for you know co-creating products and co-creating solutions to customer needs how does this come into the marketing that you help to inform as a result of this of, of as a result of this process yeah, I guess some of it is around uh, around how you talk about it, right? And how you how you talk about the messaging. So when I when I think of marketing, at least on my side, there, there's one part of marketing that is kind of the pure advertising side and the brand management side. I'm talking about mar- when I talk about marketing, it's more about the messaging and how do you uh, project yourself as a company, as a technology and thought leader, and how do you kind of develop a framework around uh, how do you communicate with your customer effectively. Um, and a lot of that uh, comes from, again, having market drivers and uh, purely well-identified uh, insight into the market um, and following that up with a roadmap uh, with features, with your perceived features and benefits of, of certain products. Some of this can be uh, PowerPoint engineering, as you call it, which is um, you know, making sure that your ideas are well articulated with with features, benefits, and messaging, and and that that leads to the conversation. Or even better, if you have uh, hardware demos or software demos that you can provide to customers, that's even better because then it gives engineers at, at your customers something to hold and play on, play with, and and something more tangible for them to uh, 
to provide feedback on. So when I think of marketing, I really think about it from that perspective. It's it's the the messaging uh, and, and the content flow that leads to a productive discussion with the customer uh, and ultimately with hardware or or a roadmap uh, that's well thought through. It's interesting to me as you've rolled out the these programs in the in the companies you've worked with. I, I, I guess uh, to what extent have um, have the, the the has the collaboration with the the customers been? Uh, um, I guess how how much did marketing ride along for that? I'm trying to think like so, you know how does you know in in, in with when there's two engineers collaborating, uh, you know do. Or is is marketing able to um, get in there in a way that they can get those messaging insights, uh, or do is, does it rely on an engineer having some messaging sensibility as well? I wonder. Yeah, I mean, typically uh, when it when it works best from my perspective, you have a mix of disciplines from the customer side and from your side in the room. Uh, because engineer to engineer, even at the customer side, you know, they can go off and, and have wonderful technical discussions that have no basis in kind of the business requirements for the company or the strategic direction for the company uh, at the end of the day. Um, and so typically, if you have someone from uh, from a cross-disciplinary pr- perspective, if you have your, your peers from the customer side uh, that can provide some more, I, I guess, uh, structure to the discussion. Uh, so, you know, the river is flowing in the right direction, um, as opposed to just a purely technical discussion. I think that certainly helps because, you know, ultimately this is something that, that you are trying to sell to your customer and they are trying to sell to their own customer. And so you need to have that, uh, that discipline on the, on the customer side as well. And so having, uh, having the engineers there and having the business folks there, of course, there has to be some technical uh, know-how uh, on, on both sides, uh, even on the business side. But having, having um, uh, that, that cross-functional team in the room together uh, certainly uh, helps make sure that you are funneling in the right direction for both companies. It strikes me how... Um... How similar the process is to uh, so many uh, suggestions for uh, creative output. For instance, there's a, um, uh, a consultant in the marketing agency land space that uh, that I follow quite a lot, um, who who writes on uh, the business of expertise, etc. And um, you know, he would often say. Yeah, you know, that that you have to you have to write and get it out there in order to even know what you think. Um, and, uh, uh, and, uh, and in some ways the process that he describes for, uh, developing your, your thinking and your thought leadership, um, as an entrepreneur, isn't that dissimilar from the process that you're imagining an organization undertaking, uh, when it comes to uh, product development, frankly. Oh, you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, you know, the, the you look at life coaches and performance coaches, and one of the things they always tell you to do is write down your goals, right? Physically write them down, put pen to paper. And this is not so dissimilar to that. Uh, it's the scariest thing. And frankly, I think that's one of the things I had the hardest time with in transitioning more from an engineer to a, a kind of marketing product development guy, product management guy, is that um, you know, when faced with the uncertainty of a blank sheet of paper, uh, it, it's very unnerving. You know, an engineer, uh, especially when I, where I was on the on the product development side, 
uh, product management side, uh, sorry, product engineering side, I was uh, given kind of a task or a product to basically go and debug and productize and make sure that I, we could, you know, test it effectively and, and get it out to market. So there was a finite task that had a, a discernible beginning and a discernible end. Whereas, you know, this process is, is kind of a recursive one where you continue to iterate, but you have to start somewhere. You have to put pen to paper. You have to be willing to take a risk and a chance uh, that your ideas could be wrong. And then you go out to market and you, and you uh, uh, get feedback on them and, and, you, and you continue to make them better. Uh, but ultimately, you start with something that is, is essentially blank. And you have to be able to uh, say, hey, what do I want to do as an organization? What do I want to do as a company? Uh, and the question you have to answer is, okay, so what do we want to do? Uh, and I think uh, you know, that's, that's a, a difficult question to answer uh, in, a, in a thoughtful way. And that, that's what this process really helps facilitate. So it's absolutely right. It's similar to, to basically... Uh, uh, on a personal level, being able to to articulate your goals, you want to articulate kind of the product goals or the product strategy for a company, and it's it's uh, sometimes challenging to get down on paper. Yeah, yeah, you bet it is. Yeah, Jeff, I, uh, I I'm thinking as we have us on on the show here that um, it, it's it's a kind of a weird occurrence because it, you're an engineer and also a marketer. So in some ways you're both the hunting of the hunter and the hunted. <laughs> uh, you know, so many marketers out there are um, either trying to market to uh, the engineering department or alternatively, um, I, I think other marketers struggle with how to leverage their own engineering department in order to do better marketing. Um, so, uh, I wonder if you could put your engineer cap on more than your marketer cap for a moment and say, man, this is, when I think of those marketers, this is the stuff that they just didn't get, or this is the stuff that I wish they thought of or they knew or would, or would do. Do you have any advice for the, the pure play marketers out there that don't have that engineering background? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, uh, look, it's your your job to be the voice of the customer. And I know that that's also a little textbook, but um, you have to provide, uh, you're, ultimately, you're not trying to sell, uh, fine, ultimately, yes, you are trying to sell something, but you, you need to, to uh, divine some, some market insight that makes it easier for the engineers to, to do their job, right? They want to, everyone wants to work on the best technology uh, and the best thing, uh, but, but uh, and, and make a better mousetrap. But, you know, it, it is the, the marketer's job to kind of drive the relationship with the customer so that, you know, you're not the customer's lapdog at the end of the day, you're their partner, you're their co-collaborator. If they are successful, you are successful. There's not a zero sum game here. Um, so you, you need to be able to uh, really identify what are the issues at play? What are the, what are the problems that, that are, they're trying to solve uh, and, and be able to communicate that internally. And sometimes that's where the, the thousand points of resistance come in is that, you know, there's sometimes this organizational disdain between like marketing and engineering where it's like, you know, hey, those guys are just going off and taking them to lunches and not really get, giving us any feedback. And, you know, we're here slogging away. And the other other side of the equation is, you know, the marketers are like, oh, those guys keep delaying everything and everything's expensive, you know, overpriced and delayed. Uh, so, uh, you know, there, there, there needs to be, of course, some internal, I'd say, uh, friction or uh, uh, collaboration between 
cross-functional teams to ensure that there's not this sort of uh, animosity between the teams. And I think that really comes from having these customer conversations, right? Is that uh, as you drive increased customer intimacy, you can you can really, uh, I think, break down some of those barriers and and um, and get even you know it can help grease the skids internally for how a product development process works. You know, I'll I'll give you a few examples um, across my career. Uh, you know, I'll give you uh, starting at, at Silicon Labs, I, I represented this optical proximity product, right? And so this was kind of at the at the begin. The, beginning part of, of uh, touch screens and optical sensors, proximity sensors. Um, and so we had a, a pretty cool product that did like touchless swipe detection. So you could kind of hover your hand over the top of a screen. And from a, a fairly good distance, like 12 centimeters away, you could swipe back and forth and be able to kind of switch a page or, or kind of scroll up and down on a page. Um, and we had developed some business case, uh, some, some demo boards and some, some roadmaps around this. Uh, and we went to a small thermostat company back then uh, with this demo and said, hey, you know, how would you like to control your thermostat and, and stuff using this, this long range proximity sensor that can do like gestures? Um, and they said, hey, you know what we would really like to do? Uh, this is a really great idea. Uh, we'd like to do long range kind of approach detection. So not necessarily a gesture from left to right, but if, is an object approaching from the left or the right? And we'll use that to turn on the screen. Uh, that, that small company was, was Nest. Um, and so the first Nest Labs uh, proximity sensor had our product in it. And that was not originally kind of the intended purpose of that product. It was meant to be for touchless swiping. But the demo board that we had had the capability of detecting an object from pretty far away. And so uh, that product was designed into the first Nest thermostat. Um, you know, a, a nice example of, of, of working closely with your customers, going in with a certain idea but having you know some technical discussion around and market discussion around, hey, what are you actually trying to do? You're trying to preserve battery life. You're trying to make sure the display isn't all the, on all the time. Uh, we can enable this this long range object detection so the display turns on as you walk up to the thermostat. Um, now you know a ubiquitous feature, if you will. Man, all I could start thinking of as you mentioned that technology was how we need that on like elevator buttons and uh, a credit card uh, point of sale these days in COVID, right? <laughs> You don't want it to be credit card from too far away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. Uh, but I, I do love that idea of you know just being open to the to the needs of the customer and being willing to go. All right, well, we had this one idea, but you know that triggered this other idea, and then you know they really wanted to take us up on that rather than just, you know, there, there would have been other people that walked away and said, well, they didn't want to scroll. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and, uh, and then the product just doesn't have that feature and, and you're not able to, uh, to sell the technology that you've been developing. You know, another, another great one, a great example, you know, at Knowles, I was on the hearing aid side and we did, uh, we were developing, uh, you know, microphones and speakers for hearing aids. Um, it really, uh, humbling and, and frankly, your uh, motivating uh, pursuit, if you will, because you're really affecting people's quality of life. Uh, you could talk about that for ages as well. But, uh, you know, we're trying to increase the output of the speaker, if you will, that goes inside your ear. Um, and so we, we developed kind of a, a solution that had a chip that, that enabled you to drive, uh, re- not to get too technical, but reduce distortion uh, or pre-distort the signal so you could drive additional output on the speaker. 
Um, and so basically you're adding some smarts to the speaker that goes inside your ear for a hearing aid. And so we went to the customers with this idea um, and, and they said, you know, that's a really good idea. But now that you have the smarts and some capability to sense output on the speaker, you know, a really huge problem that we have with hearing aids is uh, they get clogged up with wax. And that's the number one reason for failure for hearing aids and lack of adoption and returns and whatnot is you put them in people's ears, kind of a gross problem. But you put them in people's ears, which is a harsh, harsh environment for them to exist in. And we have a hard time sensing wax. And if we could sense wax and alert the user that, look, your hearing aid is not broken. It's just clogged with wax and you need to clean it. Uh, that's a much better solution than them bringing it back or returning it and saying this thing doesn't work. Um, and so it very quickly moved into, uh, you know, this concept with, with uh, you know, which was a huge problem, frankly, for them that we had no insight into, which was, look, can we do wax detection and wax compensation uh, for, for hearing aids? And so another example of something that, that started with increased output, but through some of those kind of whiteboarding, what could you do with kind of a, uh, something that had uh, smarts in your ear? Um, into kind of solving a problem that we frankly didn't really even even consider at the time. Um, and then lastly, I'll give, give an example on, on, you know, most recently at Eagle Pitcher uh, on the medical side. And th this is a really good one for, you know, if, if you just let the engineers talk versus you let the engineers and have some business people in the room, you know, you'd want to, you'd think that with some of these medical implantable products that all, all you'd want to do is, is create a longer lasting battery. Um, and, and that would solve all sorts of problems. And, and it's true, um, except for, you know, we, we, do the, we do these nearest products that basically get implanted into your, into your lower back uh, and, and solve chronic pain, if you, if you will, chronic back pain or phantom limb syndrome, et cetera. Um, and generally, these are lithium-ion batteries that get, get implanted in your lower back, and uh, they have to be charged. So they have to be charged on a regular basis, and so we said, hey, what if we expand the, the, the uh, energy density of this so that, you know, you don't have to charge every week, you have to charge every two weeks or every three weeks. And the feedback was, and, and if you just had engineers, maybe they would think that was a good, a good example or a good, good uh, solution because less charging equals better. But, uh, you know, when, when we talked to people uh, and had more of the kind of supply chain and, and the, the product guys in the room, it turned out, look, the, the, the human body is used to certain periods, right? You're used to uh, things every day. You're used to things every week. You're used to things every month. You're not used to things every two weeks. And it's very difficult to train someone to charge something every two weeks. Um, so they said, look, unless you can expand us from a week to a month, it really doesn't do us any good. What really would help us is if you, if you were able to maintain the existing energy density and make it smaller, so that it's you know something easier to implant, and there's less resistance or or pain, pocket pain, if you were um, from implanting this this neurostimulation product in someone's body. So if you can make it thinner, and we can make the product smaller, there's less kind of pain and irritation and whatnot. So that's actually better. We'll stick with the one week, but take all the technology you're using to kind of expand the energy density and make it smaller um, or thinner, if you will. And so that's another example of, you know, you're pivoting away from what your original thesis was, which was, hey, higher energy denser, density, longer charging durations uh, are better uh, ver uh, to, hey, we'd much rather have it so that you can charge in the same duration, um, but make the product smaller. I think those are some fantastic examples. And uh, 
uh, Jeff, I'm sure you agree, just kind of bring it home. I mean, you can can, can really see that in action. Yeah, that, that kind of stuff gets me really excited. <laughs> yeah, I love the idea. I like the, I, I, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe this is just like the jaded marketer in me coming out, but I find that um, uh, so much of marketing these days is um, expected to come with some level of certainty. Um, like there's an awful lot of folks out there that think, uh, I think because of the measurement of digital, um, it, it leads to a, a false sense of security or or, 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 or or certainty, I should say, and that they kind of want kind of almost guaranteed ROI on every little tactic, every little thing, um, and and uh, uh, kind of a, a know, knowing where the end is before they even start. So it's really quite encouraging and nice to hear somebody on the, or the uh, engineering product side being more open to the possibilities and um and uh, not being so uh, constrained uh, by that. So I think it's been a fascinating conversation. So. Yeah, and I, I think I think they're they're actually complementary. I understand what you're saying. You know, everyone wants to rack and stack all of their uh, all of their internal developments and and make sure that the business cases are right and that you know the ROIs are are sufficient and all that. And I think that this process can actually help you do that. And, and, you know, you should absolutely be doing that on the, uh, in addition to this process, which is uh, making sure that you have, you know, a number of moonshots, kind of more risky things, and then uh, other things that are closer to core that are more iterative. So you can kind of map out all of your, all of your internal initiatives, but frankly, you know, being able to drive the customer intimacy and and iterating quickly, you know, there's the mantra fail fast. Uh, this isn't necessarily you could look at it look at it as failing fast, but it's your ideas and your prototypes that are failing fast as opposed to um, you know you sitting and, and trying to divine the perfect solution in your head. So uh, I think it drives the strategic uh, a more strategic relationship, collaborative relationship with your customer, and then uh, also can help uh, facilitate uh, uh, a more positive return on your business case at the end of the day. Absolutely. Well, look, Asan, uh, thanks so much for sharing your experience and expertise uh, with us today on the Cooler Ring and helping us put the that proverbial more meat on the bone when it comes to customer collaboration. This has been a, a great conversation. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks a lot, Jeff. Thanks, Carmen. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Cooler Ring with Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Don't miss a single manufacturing marketing insight. Subscribe now at coolapartners.com slash the cooler ring. That's K-U-L-A partners.com slash the cooler ring.